you're an NBA fan and you're heading into the playoffs. Last 23 game sprint going into the playoffs. And of course, you're rooting for your favorite team. But in the bigger picture, if you had a choice, Golden State, the two time defending champions, winners of three of the last four NBA finals. You can choose between the Warriors and the field, the field, which would include the Rockets, the Nuggets, the Thunder, the Bucks, the Celtics, the Raptors and the Sixers. Who do you roll with? The Warriors, a.k.a. the Dubs or the field? It's the cipher. For all the drama, for all the weird blowout losses at home, when it's all said and done, the defending champs, the Golden State Warriors, they're 42 and 17. They're on their way, or at least on pace, to return to the Western Conference Finals. They're expected to win the Western Conference Finals and then go on to win the NBA Finals. Yes, surprisingly, or as we all know, not surprisingly, Golden State Warriors are the team to beat. Most people will tell you they believe the Golden State Warriors are a lock to win another title. They're a lock to three-peat. But are they a lock to three-peat? I know they're 42-17. and I know when you look at that starting lineup, when you look at Durant, Steph, Clay, Draymond, and Boogie, that's an impressive starting five, I grant you. And when you look at the numbers they've put up, KD's averaging over 27 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists. Steph, 28, 5, and 5. Clay's 21, 4, and 2. KD's 37% from 3. Steph's 45% from 3. Clay's 39% from 3. And then you add DeMarcus Cousins. And even though he's not 100%, he's probably close to it, but not 100%, since joining the Warriors, he's given you 14 points, seven rebounds, and almost four assists. That was in limited minutes. In recent games, he's been unleashed. Just last night, in a victory versus Charlotte, Boogie goes for 20 and 10. Now, I'm not saying this is what he's going to do moving forward, but he is and has been the added weapon that everybody thought he would be once he joined the Warriors. Now, I admit, my thoughts were, You don't deny what he had done prior to joining Golden State. But when he had the kind of injury that he had, I was skeptical. I wasn't sure that he was going to be able to make it all the way back. And even if he were to make it back, I honestly didn't know how he would fit with Golden State. Because he's used to getting 19 to 25 touches a game. And he had to adjust his game to fit into what they do in Golden State. And and to his credit, much respect, he's blended in perfectly. That said, are the Warriors a lot to win another title? They're the favorites. I'm on board with anybody that thinks they're the favorites. That's just common sense. But I think basketball, a lot like boxing, 
it really does come down to matchups. When I look at Golden State versus the Nuggets, the Nuggets are young, they're talented, but I don't think the Nuggets can beat Golden State in a series. When you look at Jokic, when you look at Murray, Harris, Millsap, Beasley, Morris, Barden, Plumley, this is a young, deep, talented team. But their two best players, Jamal Murray and the Joker, they're not quite leaders. They're still developing into leaders. And they're still developing really consistently as players. Their games are not finished. The Joker's averaging 20 points, 10 rebounds, and 7 assists, and he's not a finished product. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The Joker, I love the nickname, but when you look at his skill set and what he's done to this point in his career, he's the true unicorn. Jamal Murray is as explosive a two-guard as there is in the NBA. I know they run him at point, but if you've seen the Nuggets play, their offense runs through the Joker. The problem with Murray is he's inconsistent. Same for his running mate, Gary Harris. Both vastly talented. Both can put the ball on the deck. Both can attack the rim. Both can shoot from distance. Both incredibly inconsistent. My problem with the Nuggets is their impressive regular season record. They're 40 and 18, currently third. But my problem with them is can they be consistent enough? Can they lock in enough? to not just make a playoff run, a deep playoff run. And I I don't think they're there yet. But there's no question this team is a team of the future if they can keep that core together. And that's always easier said than done in the NBA. I don't think the Warriors would have a problem in a series versus the Nuggets. I do think, however, if they played the Houston Rockets, and the Rockets right now, They're ranked second in offense. They're ranked 27th in defense. But if they enter the playoffs healthy, the Rockets could still push Golden State, even with the 27th ranked defense, because what they have are two dominant ISO players and two dominant pick and roll players when you've got a healthy Harden, when you've got a healthy CP3. Both are great at doing pick and rolls and creating cross matchups and then breaking that person down and either scoring or facilitating and finding a teammate an open shot. And for whatever reason, when you watch them play against Golden State, when you watch that matchup, the one thing that stands out, the one thing that's been consistent, when they match up Rockets versus Warriors, The Rockets want the Warriors. They have zero fear of the Warriors. Their confidence level goes through the roof. James Harden believes there's nobody on the Warriors that can guard him. Chris Paul believes that he could give it to Steph just as good as Steph can give it to him. And if you watch them play, that's what he does. He gets at Steph. He attacks Steph. And while nobody's going to say Clint Capella is a better player a more talented player than Boogie Cousins or Kenneth Fareed can match up with Boogie Cousins. What they will say is both are more athletic. Both can run the floor better. And when you put Cousins in pick and roll, look, before the injury, he wasn't a great defender. Before the injury, he didn't have great lateral quickness. 
When these two match up, if these two match up in the playoffs, trust me, you will get a steady diet of Boogie Cousins and Steph Curry being put in pick and roll situations. If the Rockets are healthy, and with the Rockets, that's a big if. If the Rockets are healthy, I still think they're the team to beat Golden State. I still think they're the team that's going to give Golden State problems. For whatever reason, they match up well against them. The Rockets have beaten the Warriors three times this year. They've beaten them once without Chris Paul, once without James Harden. The Rockets want the Warriors. This is one of those matchups. If you just get caught up in looking at percentages, that's what's going to get you. What the Rockets can also do is they can beat the Warriors on the boards with Capella, with Fareed. They've got the toughness with P.J. Tucker, with Chris Paul. I really think this is going to be one of those matchups that we're all looking forward to see. I know right now the, the Rockets at 35 and 20, 34 and 25, most people think that the Thunder are the biggest threat to the Warriors. And I, I, I will say this. Oklahoma City has the most dynamic duel, I think, in basketball. When you're talking about Russ and PG-13, especially this version of PG-13. But I still think the Rockets, even at times if you want to say it's iso ball or it's ugly ball, there's something about how the Rockets play, how they're able to get into the Warriors on both ends of the floor. They just match up better. But when we look at the Thunder, a closer look at the Thunder, I love what OKC puts out there. When you've got PG-13, Russ, Steven Adams, I like Ferguson, a young, athletic 3 and D guy. You've got Schroeder who can give you 15 to 20 a night. Patterson, Abrinas, Nerlens Noel gives them quality minutes backing up Steven Adams. The problem with OKC is when I look at them, I think they lack depth. I think they lack firepower. I think once you get past that starting five, there's solid rotation players, but there's nobody that comes off that bench outside of Schroeder. But nobody else is really a scorer. I just don't think Oklahoma City has enough scoring off the bench. And overall, once you get past PG-13, once you get past Ferguson and Grant, they're not a good three-point shooting team. And we've had this conversation before, and I know we disagree. And it's not that I'm not the biggest Russell Westbrook fan. He is one of my favorite players. I've, always, I've already told people over and over and over again, I will watch a Thunder game no matter what. Russell Westbrook is one of those players I can't take my eyes off when I'm watching him. He's must-see TV and it's because he gives you everything he has. How can you not watch somebody like that, that plays with that kind of passion, that kind of energy? And he's gifted. Russell Westbrook is one of the most explosive players to ever play in the NBA. But in late game situations, I struggle with how Russ executes. He struggles in late game situations with his decision making, with his shot selection, gambling on defense. Sometimes, maybe more times than not, the thing that makes Russ great, I think they hurt him. 
I think they come back and bite him and his teammates. And I know Russ is one of them dudes. You've heard him say it. He doesn't give a. I respect that. But if Russell Westbrook ever wants to win a championship and be the best player or the second best player on a title winning team. The truth is, I'm not asking him to not play as hard as he always does. I don't think anybody is, but I think he's got to dial it back. I think he has to be smarter in late game situations. I think. No, I don't think I know he's got to be more selective with his shot taking. Instead of settling and taking a bad three late in the game when you're only down two, attack the basket, man. Attack the rim. When Russell Westbrook is going downhill, there's nobody that can stop him. He's either going to score or get an and one. One way or another, he's going to do something that's good for his team. He's going to be shooting free throws. Russ going downhill in attack mode is always a good thing. Russ pulling up from three more times than not, is a very bad thing. Even with this recent hot streak, he's still only shooting 26% from three. The bad thing is he takes like seven threes a game. And I'm not, I'm not bagging on Russ, and I don't want people to say that, but I'm just sticking with facts, acknowledging his greatness, but also pointing out maybe what you would call a fatal flaw. And even though I'm all on board on the Paul George should get more MVP love. Paul George has been a beast this season. 28 points, eight rebounds, four assists, over two steal of games. He's one of the top three guys in deflections in the league. Probably a lock to win defensive player of the year. And definitely, yes, a worthy MVP candidate. My questions with Paul George are real simple. Can he take this play? Can he take the level he's playing at right now? This consistency, can he play with this kind of aggression, this kind of productivity? Can he take that with him in the playoffs? Because if he can play like this in the playoffs and Russ can be a more selective, make better decisions, along with the ascension of Grant and and the steadiness of Steven Adams, even though I don't like their lack of depth, if you're going to get this PG-13 in the playoffs in a better version of Russ, All bets are off on who's going to the conference finals. I favor the Rockets and I favor the Warriors to meet. But the wild card, the great unknown, it's OKC. The crazy thing is OKC could go to the conference finals or they could lose in the first round. Remember what I said about matchups. For whatever reason, OKC struggles with the Nuggets. And in the playoffs last year, they lost to the Jazz. Now, I know they've beaten the Jazz a couple times this season. But again, the regular season and the playoffs and that Donovan Mitchell that they played earlier is not the same Donovan Mitchell. This this Donovan Mitchell, the guy that's been playing the last couple of months, that's the guy they met in the playoffs last year. Again, yes, uh, Oklahoma City should be acknowledged as a threat when you've got that kind of talent on the wing. But consistency and maybe a lack of depth, and, and more importantly, this is, this is a real thing. They just don't have a lot of shooting. I call them a wild card. But if they play consistent, especially those top two players, again, all bets are off. They're that talented when you talk about Russ and PG-13. 
But if you go over to the Eastern Conference, remember, this is Golden State versus the field. Milwaukee's got the best record in the league. They've probably got the longest team in the league. They are long across the board in their starting five. And, and maybe they might have the most balanced starting five in, it, in the NBA. Look, Giannis gives you 27 and 12. Middleton gives you 17 and 6. Brogdon and Bledsoe both average 15 a game. And then you've got Brooke Lopez shooting threes, shooting almost 38% from three and averaging 12 points a game. I didn't think that Milwaukee had a lot of depth, but the additions of George Hill, a solid veteran point guard who's defensive minded, and then they just added Miritich. That gives them another guy that can shoot from three. I think the addition of Miritich gives them just enough firepower when you add him to Ilua and Tony Snell, both who shoot over 37% from three. I think Milwaukee has just enough to not only win the East, I think Milwaukee's a really good matchup for Golden State as well. I'm not saying they could beat Golden State, but let's look at certain things. Look, Milwaukee is one of the, it's actually, they're actually the best defensive team in the NBA right now. They're rated number one in defense. Golden State is rated number one in offense. So this is the unstoppable force going up against a wall. Thing about the Warriors, though, what you have to watch is their depth. Iguodala and Livingston, well into their 30s, not quite what they were. And they don't have any one person that's going to give you 15 to 20 points off the bench. I, I just th- I think this year's Warrior, they're so top heavy, the bench isn't what it was in past seasons. Not to me, and their overall team defense. Golden State is only ranked 16th defensively. They don't get a lot of stops. Their defense this season has been their offense. Which is why when you look at that 42 and 17 record, it's impressive. But a lot of their games are close and not just against the better teams. Their games are close against some of the lesser teams. They're just not that sound defensively as they've been in past seasons. And when you look at Milwaukee's ability to get stops and rebound the basketball, that would be an interesting matchup. That's a finals matchup that I would think that would go seven games. It would not shock me at all. When you look at the Sixers, I like the Sixers. I like that starting five. I like the versatility of that starting five. What I don't like is I don't think the Sixers have enough depth or firepower coming off their bench. And when you get into playoff basketball and you can't run as much and it's more about half court execution and shot making. Then spacing becomes an issue because as gifted as Ben Simmons is, he's not a shot maker. And that's a problem in the playoffs because the better teams will clog the paint and force Ben Simmons to take shots. I think the Sixers are still a year or two away because I don't think this roster will be the same roster that comes back next season. Yes, of course, you're going to have Simmons and Embiid. And I know the plan is to re-sign Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris. But my gut feeling is, at best, they're going to be able to re-sign one of them. Philly's going to be in the playoff hunt for the next five to ten years as long as you've got Embiid and Simmons. 
But as far as being a title contender, I don't know. I don't know if they're ever going to be able to put put together the right combination of shooting, athleticism, and, and post play to make them a legit title contender. They're entertaining right now. I just don't think they have enough. And they're not consistent enough. Even with the additions of Butler and Harris, they turn the ball over way too much. And their defense, it, it it's streaky. Sometimes they look like they can lock you down, and other times they look like they can't stop anybody. The only other team or teams that I think have a legit shot, again, this is the field versus the dubs. I think the Raptors, and even with their problems, it's a matchup thing, right? I think the Celtics would beat the Sixers in the series. I think the Celtics and the Bucks that could go either way. Remember last year, that went seven games. The difference this year, if you listen to him, would be Kyrie. And it should be the difference. The difference in a seven-game series could be Kyrie. But just remember, the Celtics won that. Even though it took them seven, they won last year. Were they to lose, the difference would also be Kyrie. I think Kyrie, no one can question his talent or what he can do or the shot maker that he is. But chemistry is a strange thing. When I watch the Celtics with him, they're really good, but they're not great. And when I watch them without him, I still think they're just really good. But the ball does move a little bit more. That's not that's not to say that he's not facilitating because he's averaging a career high seven assists a game. It just seems to be a chemistry issue. And sometimes chemistry can make or break a team. But this is about them matching up against the Warriors. Do they match up well versus the Warriors? They do. Will they beat the Warriors in a series? I don't think so. I think the same problems that they're having now, they're going to have in the postseason. And you can't have those kind of problems or any kind of problems when you're playing the Warriors. Everybody's got to be committed to your style of play and the mission at hand. And right now, the Celtics are all over the place. When I look at the Raptors, the Raptors are kind of like the Rockets in this sense. If they're healthy, if Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard are healthy, with their young players, Anobi and Siakam, the additions of Marc Gasol, I think this is a good matchup too. I think that when you look at the Eastern Conference, because we're talking about the field, how the East shakes out, I think the East is going to come down to the Raptors and the Bucks. Who do I trust more versus Golden State? I'm going to go with the Raptors. I'm going to go with Kawhi Leonard. I'm going to go with the toughness of Cal Lowry. Now, I don't know if it'll shake out that way. Ultimately, I'm picking the Warriors to still go to the finals like I'm sure everybody else is. But I'm not saying it's a lock. I've seen some vulnerabilities. I think the, the Warriors can be had. Even with the addition of DeMarcus Cousins, they can be had. They can be had because when you get to the playoffs, the last three seasons, for whatever reason, the refs are allowing more physical play. And when you can get into Golden State and you can switch everything, it changes how they play. Because you can stonewall Clay by just getting into his body and staying with him. You can run Steph off the three-point line and get into his body. 
and it becomes KD's ability to make shots one-on-one. And while you don't want to leave Kevin Durant one-on-one, that seems to be the game plan. And it's one of those things, can Durant beat us? And, and sometimes he can, and sometimes he can't. What I am saying is when you make Golden State one-dimensional and the ball's not moving, they're a completely different team. And when you're physical with them, they're a completely different team. The Raptors have every element needed to beat Golden State in a series on both ends of the floor. They have a dominant wing player. They have a tough-minded, physical, talented point guard. They've got versatile wing players that can guard Clay, Steph, that can guard Draymond. And they also have the kind of coach who's smart enough that in the postseason, in a matchup versus the Warriors, Draymond Green's going to be left open exclusively. That's also something that's going to challenge them. I think this year, once the playoffs hit, teams were going to challenge Draymond Green to make shots. He's got to make shots. Not just him, but even in the spot minutes, when you've got Looney and Livingston and Jarebko and those kind of guys coming in, their bench players will be challenged to make shots. Warriors versus the field. Who you got? Now, I know we might disagree on that final matchup. I'm sure some of you all think the Celtics are going to be there. Some of you all think the Bucks are going to be there. Some of you might even think the Rockets are going to beat the Warriors or that the Nuggets will beat the Warriors or that I'm not showing the Jazz enough love. And I do think that the Jazz are an interesting team. I think they're the second best defensive team in the NBA behind the Bucks, but they don't have a superstar yet. Donovan Mitchell is on his way, but he's not a superstar yet. And they don't have enough firepower. Warriors versus the field. You pick them. You give me your responses. I'll read your responses on Friday and we can chop it up in between. It's the cipher. Lakers lose to the Grizz 110 to 105. The Lakers in their last five games are one and four. Three of those losses to the Hawks, the Pelicans, and now the Grizzlies. All three of these teams, they're trying to lose. These three teams are trying to get into the the lottery. They want to get into the Zion Fest. And the Lakers, who are actually trying to get into the playoffs, at least that's what you think they're trying to do, and they lost to all three of those teams. And it seems like every game is, okay, this is the game. The Lakers have to win this game. And then they lose again, and then they go, well, the next game. I said the Lakers would have to win overall between 45 and 46 games to have a shot in the playoffs. And at their current pace, they're not making the playoffs. At their current pace, they're going to be joining the Hawks, the Pelicans, and the Grizzlies. And I know the narrative is LeBron needs more help offensively. Asking you to receive. Last five games, Brandon Ingram, 25 points a game on 54% shooting. Kyle Kuzma, 22 points a game on 52% shooting. Yes, LeBron is averaging a triple-double the last five games. He's shooting 47%. It seems like they have enough offense. They don't have enough defense. And maybe more importantly, even with the offense, there's a lack of chemistry. There's a lack of commitment. 
Maybe another word is trust. And I know LeBron is big on making the speeches and he's saying after the game how if you're still upset about things that were said in the past and rumors and all the hearsay, you should get over it and you're on the wrong franchise. And I actually understand where he's coming from. But I also understand where they're coming from. And the truth of the matter is, the more he talks, it doesn't help. Stop talking. Just play, man. I'm not telling you to shut up and dribble, but just play the game. Your teammates, what they don't need from you are speeches. You're the best player in the game. What they need you to do, whether they like you or not, whether you like them or not, is lead. And that starts with competing on both sides of the floor. That's something he hasn't done. Definitely not on a consistent level. And if you're making a playoff push, after all the things that they've been through, after the fractures in that locker room, if you're telling me to give you everything I have, I need to see the same thing from you. And if you're only giving it to me on one end of the floor, then I'm going to follow your lead. The Los Angeles Lakers will not make the playoffs until they commit as a team to compete defensively. And that starts with their best player, LeBron James. Less talking, more leading. It's the Cypher.